0: Hello and welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sari. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin history, music, and culture. While drinking a few brews. Though we don't often use strong language, the jokes and the content is not intended for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Before we begin the episode, we have to give a huge shout out to the Dangits from Madison, Wisconsin. For providing us with great bluegrass intro you hear at the beginning of every episode. The song Razzle was written by Jamie Lampkins, but is performed by on behalf of Tom Wasselchuk and the Dang Itz. If you have a chance, check these guys out at dang itscom for upcoming shows, music, or on how to book them for weddings, parties, and etc. Thank you for listening. Hey everyone, welcome
0: back. My name is Eric. We have a few updates uh, to our little podcast here before we begin. I uh, just wanted to let you know that we are now officially on a, a multitude of different podcasting sites, of which they are Apple Podcast, Google Play, YouTube, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher. We also wanted to let you know that we have our social media presence updated. We have Facebook and Instagram. So definitely go check those out. You can find links to all of that stuff on our own website, including links to our Tee Public site. If you really want to represent our brand and you want our logo on your chest, you can get our stuff at TeePublic right now. You can find links to all of that stuff on our website for the studio. It's called projectcapestudio.com.
1: Yeah, we also have a local printer working on koozies and shirts um, that we want to have on hand at all times. Uh, We also have a small correction we need to make on episode one. Um, I had a few beers in me, and uh, I said that Madeline Island wasn't one of the northern islands, and it actually is. Um, If you want to go to the furthest north point, you actually have to go to the Apostle Islands, and the furthest island is actually just called the Outer Island. And that brings us to our main segment
0: today, Roaring Dan Seavey, The Implication of Lake Michigan.
1: And before we begin, I always divulge my resources to any listeners who want to actually go into this topic a little further. As always, you know, I don't want to do a massive spiel. Um, you can always go to historical society, but today we actually use two sources. We use Roaring Dan CV by Richard J Boyd, and I also dug into the book Pirates of Lake Michigan question mark by Lon F Hef
0: So one of our resources is by Dick Boyd. Yeah. Great.
1: So, Eric, have you actually ever heard of Pirates on Lake Michigan?
0: No. You know, I've seen a couple of Pirates fans near Bradford Beach, though. So, (laughs) is that what we're talking about?
1: Uh, Close enough. Um, But if you were to consider a pirate on Lake Michigan, what what do you think they'd be dressed?
0: Uh, Skinny jeans and uh, some random old T-shirt.
1: Yeah, it sounds about right. Okay. Though this episode doesn't technically talk about a town, specifically as Dan had many bases of operations throughout Wisconsin. I do want to give a shout-out. Due to COVID, this has been canceled, but the Pirate Festival in Port Washington is a really neat event. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I recommend checking it out next year when they do reopen. They even bring in the uh, famous Milwaukee schooner named the Dennis Sullivan, and it's a festival filled with beer, music, people dressing up as pirates. Um, There's neat harbor bars, restaurants, reenactments, and I highly recommend you check this event out. I want to let everyone know that there are many other cases of piracy on the Great Lakes, but this pirate, personally, I wanted to focus our episode on. So the main character in this episode is Dan Seavey. He was famously known during the time period as Roaring Dan Seavey.
0: Or Skeevy Seavey.
1: (laughs) Dan was born in Portland, Maine on March 23, 1865. From a young age, he was destined to be on the high seas, I, I mean lakes, At the age of only 13, he became a sailor and worked aboard local vessels. He was a son to a father who was a schooner captain, so from a young age, all he knew was things nautical. At the age of 18, he joined the United States Navy, and for a while he worked as deputy marshal for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, tracking bootleggers and smugglers on Indian reservations in several states. Roaring Dan first appears in Wisconsin around 1880 at the railhead in Middle Inlet, Wisconsin, near Marinette. Well, in this area, he enjoyed trapping and a bit of farming. He met and married his wife, who was only 14 years old at the time, Mary Plumley, who would become the first of three wives Dan would have. In, 1890s, the, in the 1890s, the couple had two daughters and had moved to Milwaukee. He purchased a small farm and had several interests within the local waterfront saloons. It is documented in 1896 that he operated an Oumda Tavern himself, and which introduced him into Frederick Pabst. And if you haven't heard of this guy, uh, we'll definitely have a podcast on him later on. Yeah, I, I think I know Fred Paps pretty well too. Paps was a huge force in the area and would constantly talk to Dan about getting into gold mining, specifically the Klondike Gold Rush in Alaska. This venture was not a very good one for him, and he lost most of his money and was forced to return back to Milwaukee. When coming back, he refused to go back to his fatherly duties. Instead, he vanished onto Lake Michigan, which wouldn't be the first time he wouldn't be the last time he does this. His wife then bailed on him and returned to northern Wisconsin and remarried to just get away from this asshole, and she changed her name to Mary Silver. In 1900, he resurfaced in Michigan, where he met his second wife, then 22-year-old Zildur Bisner. This was a pretty abusive relationship. Um, she was beaten and threatened often. So basically, this guy is a complete dick. And let let me tell you, uh, he doesn't actually get any better when she confronted him with divorce papers, C.V. again disappeared into the Great Lakes. C.V. later met his last wife, Annie Bradley, and though we don't know everything about this marriage, it did last and was his last marriage. Dan tried many things over his lifespan and was sort of an always searching for that get-rich scheme, but before he became what our tale is today, he tried marine transportation, legitimate, trapping, logging, lumber milling, and even some prize fighting. He also indulged in a lot of illegal things, and this is where our lovely tale on Dan will kind of start. He tried smuggling, poaching of animals, bootlegging, and human trafficking. Do we know? Do we know if he ever tried selling Kirby vacuums? That's that's not on the list, <laughs> but uh, he might have. It states pimping in a few of the references, but honestly, it was sex trafficking and prostitution trade. And sorry, Dan, you're, you're kind of white. Yeah and this is where our story of him of being a pirate and uh, therefore mentioned he was kind of how he obtained his notorious character that we all hear about and these are the accounts that he that earned him the title so the first account of Dan's ways comes to us from the village of Way in the UP Daregay he was working for the Bureau of Indian Affairs at the same time and tracked down a smuggler to this area the person in question says to CV that no lawman could ever take me in hand-to-hand combat. C.V. saw this as a challenge, and the, and the two men quarreled for a few hours, just just beating each other. Yeah, just going after it. Or so it is stated. But the fight ended after C.V. tipped a full-blown, full piano onto the guy. I mean, this dude got Elton Johnned.
0: Yeah, I was going to say he got liberace for sure.
1: Yeah, destroyed. The man was brought to a medical facility, but ended up dying of his injuries. In the Telegraph, C.V. elegantly writes, Outlaw expired while resisting arrest. That was all you needed back then, and obviously they didn't have you know deep investigations, so he kind of got away with murder.
0: Yeah, and there, I mean, homicide by 88 key. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he quickly grew in reputation as a tough brawler. He was known to have beaten many challengers and even became a prize, fight, prize fighter. In Frankfurt in the winter of 1904, Mitch Love, a well-known pugilist of the time, from downstate was one of the such cases. There was a ring set up and the ring was actually made with ice all surrounding it in the frozen harbor and they just piled up snow to, to have the ring edges. Around 200 people were there to witness the fight. The fights were all bare knuckles, so there was no gloves involved. This was just knuckle to knuckle. Um, Dan beat the man into a bloody pulp and required medical attention was, a, re, was required. Dan cleaned up the contest and made a decent sum of money. As mentioned before, C V was a poacher. There was a story where he would set up illegal traps out in the water to catch fish. Now, C, C.V. was technically a marshal, so had a gun on him and most of the times. Other poachers would come and try to take his trap. Which was illegally set in the first place, and a bell would ring, and CB, CV would cap off a shot to scare them away. Due to him being a marshal, he could have just told authorities that he set the trap for poachers, but he obviously sold his catches for money. He obviously, yeah, he used his title basically to get away with crimes.
0: Well, that's the thing. He was a he was the like one of the first accounts of dirty cops.
1: Exactly, and due to his confidence level. He also dabbled in horse racing markets of Chicago. And this is kind of cool because he actually screwed over some (laughs) Illinois guys. There you go. Um, He would actually talk up and say that his hay was a special type of hay that would enhance the horse's stamina. And these people in Chicago actually bought it. And uh, he used to load up barges and drive them down there and made just a ton of money this way.
0: Yeah, this is the stuff that you see on the counter at the gas station that says it's going to definitely improve everything you've ever done.
1: Right, and this ended up working for him. So to keep you guys in the mood, we decided to play uh, some rigging that was actually done here in Lake Michigan in the background. And this is the part of the story where uh, Dan Seavey actually starts to commit crimes on the water. So there used to be a loophole in the system where uh, parts of the lake were technically not under any jurisdiction. You could basically set sail, and if you were on the lake, nobody could arrest you for the crimes you were committing. So he would sail a barge and set up floating bordellos. That's right. I mean, he's actually having prostitutes on his boat. He was able to sell women's and collect the profit. Obviously, the law did not want to get involved, but had to say no, say they couldn't do anything because of the loophole. He was not the only one doing this at the time, and prohibition was going on, so sailors would also set up bars and you know drinking establishments right on the water. And with that, we were, I was trying to come up with some names for uh, some, some floating bordellos myself, And uh, my immature brain came up with these floating whorehouse names, including the SS Skeeter, the Rub and Tugboat, which is also bringing a new meaning to the word Stabbin' Cabin, with slogans like, hop in your dinghy and we'll touch your thingy. Eric, do you have any uh, names picked out for your floating bordellos?
0: I got a few. Uh, Bass to Mouth, (laughs) Blowjib, (laughs) Blue Vein Bobber. And Filthy Ore. Those are just a couple. Just a couple. (laughs) I have given this no thought, right?
1: And this is where Dan actually receives his piracy charge. He purchased a 42-foot schooner named The Wanderer. And you can see a picture of this on our social media. I actually got a really nice picture of it. On June 11th of 1908, Dan, along with two crew members, stole a small schooner in Grand Haven, Michigan, which initiated a chase with federal authorities. He gained the ship, the Nellie Johnson by having Captain R.J. McCormick and his crew in a local saloon where he enticed them drinking wildly and giving them shots. The crew became so drunk and immobilized that the entire crew all passed out and the two members along with Dan hopped on the ship and headed off to Chicago where they're hoping to sell off the, the, cedar, lumbers that, the cedar lumber that was already loaded up. After reaching the harbor, they were turned away from even the shadier markets, so they had to try other ports. By this time, McCormick alerted federal authorities, and what had happened on June 20th, nine days later, the federal ship, the Tuscarora, left Chicago in pursuit of Dan. The Tuscarora was captained by Preston Uberoth, while McCormick and U.S. Deputy Marshal Tom Currier, along with Dan, were on the boat along with Dan's arrest warrant. The Tuscarora was a faster ship than the Nellie Johnson and was also a 178-foot steel gunboat, cruised up the eastern shore stopping at all ports and known black market ports which proved to be slow and tedious they had to stop in every single one of these and actually ask questions and due to the connections of the marshal they phoned all of the lighthouses and life-saving stations eventually they got a hit up in frankfurt where cv had hid the ship the nelly johnson on a local area river they headed north and paused in manistee where they had decided to refuel the ship and proceeded under the cover of night they had suspicions that someone would have alerted Dan, so they didn't want, to, they didn't want him to leave. And while docking in Point Bestie, they fo- the following afternoon, one of the crew members spotted the wanderer leaving the harbor. Dan's getting out of town. He's, he's shitting his pants now. Yep. So. Well, they lifted the anchor and darted after the ship in full pursuit. The, Rus- the Tuscarora then left, let off one cannon shot along the waterline next to the ship, which finally caused CV to force him to stop because he didn't want to risk his ship. The crew boarded the ship, and CV was arrested and brought back to Chicago. On June 30th, CV was put up on charges of not piracy, like the original charge, but mutiny and sedition on the high seas. The media sen- sensation due to this initial piracy charge is what branded him, and it was not the actual charge. In the end, Dan Seavey was somehow able to get out of all charges, though he clearly stole the ship. There's, I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's, there's so much evidence out there. And there really is no clear answer on how he was able to get off on all of these, on all these charges. Um, there was obviously speculation and rumors. Um, he he never admitted to stealing the ship, and he you know they think that he had a really good lawyer that got him off of all this stuff.
0: Yeah, he he probably had Johnny Cochran, but also at the same token, I mean, out there on the high seas, it's the implication.
1: And, and due to all the newspapers, he was officially branded as a pirate, and to his death, he always claimed that he won the Nellie Johnson in a poker game sure <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> yeah, that's
0: so. generally what people are willing to put up in a in a poker game a a ship full of cedar lumber
1: c v also made a significant amount of money doing poaching as noted before. So one story, not a hundred percent confirmed. Um, there's evidence of it, but a lot of people don't know if it was CV, and he was never charged with it. Is there was a company known as Booth Fisheries, and uh, they attempted competing with with CV's venison poaching operation. And it's said that CV attached a cannon on their ship and actually sunk this this ship and and killed everyone on board, which is pretty messed up. That's intense. I don't, I don't know if he really did it, but I think because being branded as a pirate, I think they kind of pointed a finger at him specifically right.
0: you got him on a couple other things but why not just throw this one at him
1: yeah and he also was known for stealing cargo ships by using a, a thing called moon cussing and the term moon cussing if you're a, if you're a player of skyrim you know what this means already it's not when you actually pull on your pants and you know you show your ass and someone just starts swearing at you it's yeah. not it doesn't mean that at all
0: yeah this isn't randy uh randy moss at <laughs> lambeau field
1: <laughs> It's actually where someone alters a sea light by extinguish, extinguishing or an existing light or placing false lights, which lead, leads the ship to crash into the rocks. And uh, it's obviously an easy technique to steal cargo. You just direct them right in the shore and they crash right on the rocks. You take your stuff, get out of there. Yeah. So in the end, the Wanderer was eventually destroyed by a fire, which speculation it may have been the alcohol that was on board. CV retired in uh, the 1920s and settled in Peshtigo, Wisconsin and later died in a nursing home in 1949 at the age of 84 he was known for to be religious towards the very end of his life and would often be seen carrying a Bible around which I mean when you live a life of complete sin this kind of is like the standard go-to you know like please save me you know i did all these terrible things
0: right you run you run to the uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a newly you know uh, Christian and uh, just trying to uh Make my way into heaven now.
1: Yeah. You know, for some of these crimes, I don't know if a Hail Marys are going to do it for you, but you can give it a shot. No. Yeah. And today, honestly, I wish more people knew about Dan C V, which is kind of why we're doing this episode. Um, I heard about him actually for the first time watching um, an episode of Warehouse 13. And if you want to watch this episode, it's on uh, season four. The episode's called Lost and Found. And to keep the legend alive, Great Lakes Distillery actually distills a rum called Roaring Dan's Rum to pay homage to the pirate. Um, he was the last. He was also a character in uh, a season twelve episode of uh, Murdoch Mysteries, which is kind of neat. So he has been featured. He's just kind of not well known, even within our state, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, Eric, um, after you heard the story, what what do you think of this guy?
0: Well, I mean, throughout this, uh, this whole uh, recording, we've been sipping on a couple of shots of this stuff named after this uh, very infamous uh, gentleman. He sounds like the exact opposite of a gentleman, in fact. He is a dirty, dirty man that... Uh, he's a jack of all of the bad trades, is really what it sounds like. He, he's not an educated man, uh, he has the streetwise, uh, but honestly, I mean, he is just a, a filthy, filthy man.
1: Yeah, he definitely lives up to the pirate, the pirate name. And, you know, I think he took a lot of these like federal legitimate jobs to kind of see how the system works. so We could actually find a way or, you know, loopholes in the system to get away with all the crimes he committed.
0: Exactly. It's like that Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Catch me if you can. You get on the inside. So that way you can educate yourself that way on how to you know, discover loopholes and ways around stuff.
1: But yeah, thank you for listening, and we're going to take a quick break and get back to you. And welcome back. So to keep our uh, pirate theme going here, today's music is actually not local, but we were actually lucky enough to get approval from Napalm Records, specifically Nadir. Shout-outs, for the, and thank you for getting back to us so quickly. He actually gave us permission to use a song, uh, the song is by Alestorm, and they're actually from Perth, Scotland. But the song does feature a local bar. It's actually a basement bar called The Sunken Norwegian. So, huge thank you to Napalm Records. And without further ado, here is H- Alestorm, The Sunken Norwegian.
0: Thanks again to Napalm Records and Alestorm. That song, The Sunken Norwegian, that's another one of those tracks that just gets you amped up and, and makes you want to have a good time out there on the bass to mouth. Our next segment is the beer review. Today, we actually have in front of us the Mutiny, Mutiny IPA from Capital Brewery. Um, this is considered an American IPA. Uh, at 6.2% ABV. Uh, this one does have the bitter, bitterness of the IPA uh, with a little bit of pine uh, and a citrus aroma as well uh, that you can taste. Um, I enjoy IPAs. Um, I have a, a, you know maybe one or two and that's max. You don't want to go over that, at least in my opinion. Um, this one's kind of in the middle of the road of an IPA it it's not uh it's not overboard but it definitely packs a little bit of a punch so um again not too wild definitely drinkable but it does have that that punch so you got to got to definitely tailor back on it a bit um capital brewery is another one of those tours that Russ and I have actually been on together that one's in middleton wisconsin
1: yeah the tour was really good you know unfortunately we had a, a newer tour guide he was, a uh, you know, you go to, like, lakefront, these guys joke around, and they're really, like, bubbly, enthusiastic. And this guy was just kind of, like, p- plain level, you know? Yeah, he I mean, definitely newer, and you know how you are on a newer
0: job. You're a little bit um, uncomfortable. You don't have that same level of confidence. So I believe that was the only thing. Now that that's been probably four years ago, I'm sure he's probably fitting right in, and, and that's awesome. Uh, but, yeah, normally tour guides are just they're really loose, and they're able to just off the cuff a lot of history and a couple of one-liners that are fun and play off of the crowd, almost doing crowd work like comedians do. Um, and this guy's—he's really good at just delivering the the information on the script. So he was more verbatim.
1: Exactly, and I'm in the same boat with you. in the IPAs, like I, usually, what I do is I'll drink a couple of these, and then you know I'll switch back to a lighter beer because I want to have like a good taste up front, and then you know you don't want to get really trash because these are six point two percent. You know you have a six pack, and you're not going to be feeling good the next day.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's just a heavy beer. It sits in the gut, and uh, it's like you're you're eating a whole loaf of bread. So having one or two definitely manageable, and these things have a lot more flavor than your typical light beers. Uh, so you can definitely indulge a bit if, if you will, I, you know, uh, just like when you order a dessert at uh, restaurants, they only bring you out a small dessert. They don't bring you out the full entree dessert, you know? So this is really one of more of those, uh, indulgences that you just have, you know, one or two just to get that taste, but then you can easily switch back to something else. Your, your other cocktail, you know, a light beer, something else.
1: Yeah, and for Grateful Dead fans, um, they no longer have it, but you can still sometimes find a shirt in their gift shop. They actually used to make the uh, Grateful Red.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know I'm a deadhead.
1: Yeah, and the shirt's really cool. It's tie-dye. It says Grateful Red on it. It's it's really cool. If, if you can find them, I don't know if they're making them anymore, but they used to have them in the gift shop. I think last time we were there, they weren't making the beer, but you could get the shirt. Nice. And, yeah, if you're in Middleton, um, one other thing I recommend, If you know, I was a skateboarder in school, And, uh, now that I'm in my thirties, I still skate once in a while, but, uh, I always have to have a little beer in my system before I end up, uh, going over to the skate park, but there's one actually right across the street. So, you know, liquor up and, uh, get on over there. I don't know if that's the best advice, but (laughs) yeah,
0: definitely. Um, there's also a mustard museum over there too, right? Yeah. In the same town.
1: Yeah. Actually the mustard museum is really cool. And, uh, I love mustard. Um, I, I put it on a lot of things. I eat like raw vegetables and dip it in there. Same here. But, uh funny story is they have a game downstairs it's like a ring toss game and uh mike and sturge both played and uh, i don't i don't think i don't think either one of them actually rung it but they ended up just uh grabbing some mustard anyway so
0: i mean it's there for the taking in my opinion the game is is just kind of like a try it if you want but definitely have some of this mustard over here <laughs> so yeah definitely I, I walked home with some uh jalapeno mustard and then one of my favorites is uh, which i think the the carolina heat and that thing is just absolutely awesome
1: yeah they also have uh some pretty good if you're in a curry and uh, indian dishes they have a really good curry mustard it's my favorite one that they offer and that's the one i buy every time nice and yeah that'll do it for the uh, beer review segment so along with the mutiny
0: ipa from Capital. We've also uh, been sipping on the Dan Seavey's Rum from Great Lakes Distillery, and we actually had a chance to interview Ross, the marketing director at Great Lakes Distillery.
1: All right, without further ado, here is uh, Ross, the marketing manager from Great Lakes Distillery. Can you tell us a little bit about Great Lakes and events you have coming up, etc.? Sure. Uh,
2: Great Lakes Distillery was formed in 2004 by Guy Ray Horst, our owner. It's was a home winemaker, home... Uh, Brewer, then he was at the bar one day and noticed that there were a bunch of beers he could buy from Milwaukee and Wisconsin, and a bunch of uh, you know, I guess primarily beers, not so much wine, but even had California wine at the time. But yeah, he could buy a beer from ten different places in southeastern Wisconsin. But all the vodka was coming from Eastern Europe, all the rum was coming from the Caribbean, all the gin was coming from the UK, all the you know bourbon was just coming from Kentucky. So it's a Got him thinking, why not local spirits? Why not craft spirits? So we looked into it. Eventually got through all the uh, paperwork and red tape and just confusion on the state level because they hadn't dealt with the distilleries since pre-prohibition. Started producing in 2006. At that time, there were less than 100 distilleries in the entire country. And now we're up to over 2,000. So we were at the forefront of the craft spirits movement. It started with vodka. That was our flagship product. Uh, it's still our number one seller, but we've expanded to offer over 30 different products and about 12 core products, between bourbon, rye, rum, um, apple brandy, absinthe, vodka, a couple different gins as well.
1: Great. So, yeah, we've kind of been sipping on the uh, the Roaring Dan C V rum. Uh, anything you want to tell us about that one?
2: Rum? Roaring Dan's rum was kind of special for us. It was the first brown spirit we continually made so it takes a long time to make whiskey it takes a long time to kind of tune in your recipe for that and you we never wanted to do a real young whiskey we never really wanted to do a white whiskey so our options option limited there but rum was relatively easy the way we distill our rum it uh, drinks a little nicer when it's younger so you can distill it in such a way that only six months in the cask well, you got a pretty decent product it's uh, much older than that now, but I get go. go, reaging aging it for about six months. So as soon as we had rum available here in our tasting room, it was great. It was our first brown spirit, so that hope, opened up a whole new world of cocktails we could make. And we treated rum like whiskey for a good long time because that was the closest thing we had to whiskey. So we were drinking a lot of rum old-fashioned
3: just because that was the best and closest
1: thing we could get to an old-fashioned. Yeah, um, do, so obviously we get the hints of the maple... Syrup coming through. Do you guys use brown sugar and molasses as well? Nope. Our process for this one is we, and you'll notice, yeah, maple-flavored rum. I'll explain that
2: part. So for this product, (laughs) we ferment and distill table-grade molasses. So we buy just a bunch of molasses, ferment and distill that. Then we add Wisconsin maple syrup from Anderson's Maple Syrup in Cumberland, Wisconsin. We add that right into the first batch of distillation so we distill it once comes off and still about 40 45 percent alcohol by volume then we add the maple syrup to that we run it through the still again so it's infused in a distillate and then distilled again if we fermented the maple syrup we legally couldn't call it rum anymore and if we added it after the any of that sugar you're picking up on is coming from the barrels because when you age in a charred barrel charring a barrel caramelizes all the natural sugars in the wood you're getting a lot of vanilla flavor and just kind of wood sugar so sweetness is coming from
1: that yeah it's pretty tasty you definitely get a little hint are they oak barrels i'm guessing yep okay Uh, And then uh, yeah i know with covid things have been kind of weird but uh do you guys have any events coming up that you would like to let our audience know about uh, i'll just say
2: no because I
1: have no <laughs> yeah, <idea. right. laughs> we'll ease into it we do an
2: ice cream social every year that is really popular so we're going to try and do a to-go kit of that or because that, that event wasn't really about being here it was about a special edition of ice cream coming out from purple door is just a couple blocks away from us, so they would make us a special ice cream for that event. Uh, They've done a gin and tonic ice cream, they've done a white Russian ice cream using our products. So, we'll probably have a release of that, but it won't be a come-to-distillery type event, but it'll still be something to look forward to. Also, we have some new products coming up on the horizon, and we'll have a... A release day, but there won't be a big party here with cocktails. We're probably a good couple months away from really entertaining that idea.
1: And that's kind of what we were thinking too. Um, are you guys still offering tours, or when you know when they'll open up again?
2: Tours are tentatively uh, set to start again this coming Thursday. So we did open on Friday at twenty five percent capacity. We're open through the weekend. We're taking Monday off. Then our food service tentatively will begin Friday and our tours, a uh, limited amount of tours will tentatively begin Thursday. We're offering a few other tour options too, where there'll be public tours where you can buy a ticket or you can buy a small private tour for you and six friends or 10 people or something like that. So you, you're guaranteed that it's just your group coming in and you, you don't won't mingle with the public or anything, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. If no one takes anything, we might ease that back. If it's popular, we might add one to the day. It's it's all wait and see. But Thursday and Friday should be the return of tours and
1: food. That's great to hear. And then uh, lastly, before we uh, get you off the line here, um, we want to answer a few questions. We have a segment we always like to do with our guests um, to find out how Wisconsin they are. All right. All right. So the first question we got for you, have you ever eaten a squeaky cheese curd?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Same place uh, right here, Clock Shadow Creamery. The only dairy in the city of Milwaukee. We used to pick up fresh curds every Wednesday and Friday for the tasting room. So I've had less than an hour old white and less than an hour old orange cheese curds.
1: So those things are really squeaking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. And then the next question, have you ever been to a Packers game?
2: I have been to, yes, I've been to a couple different Packer games, uh, preseason and regular season. Uh, I would also like to add that twice in my life, uh, maybe this is a bad thing, but twice in my life, a beer has started to freeze in my hand. Maybe that meant I wasn't drinking it fast enough. Maybe it meant it was that cold. But I was at a Packers game, took a sip of my beer, and there were little chunks in it, I was concerned. And then I figured out, oh, wow, this, this beer is freezing. Uh, maybe we should, like, go somewhere warm
1: <laughs> yeah have you ever worn a cheese hat oh uh I've
2: definitely worn one I've never owned one but I've definitely worn one
1: yes yeah, so I'm kind of in the same boat we were just joking on the other episode I mean we're a pretty huge Packers fan, so I'd wear a cheese thong I mean it's <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah I would definitely rock a cheese bra <laughs> I had a
2: I borrowed someone's cheese ball cap yeah. I probably, if I ever saw one, I was drunk enough. I'd buy one of those, just uh, a <laughs> ball cap. But as the, the wedge is just so heavy; it's, it's, it's rather it's bulky. Yes,
1: yes. Have you ever been up north? Oh yeah, I've been up north. Oh yeah, I go
2: up north uh, once in a while. You know, go up to uh, Trivers and uh, Rheinlander and uh, oh Thorpe. Uh, big fan of Thorpe. Got to stop at the Thorpe deal, get some food. Uh, once in a while, you know, I'll go way, way up there to Hayward, eh? see some lumberjacking. but, yeah, uh, hey, I think that's up north enough.
1: I bet I'm north gay, for sure. Have you, uh, ever shot a shotgun?
2: Uh, yes, uh, I did shoot a shotgun once at a range. I didn't particularly like it. Uh, it was quite the kickback, because <laughs> me and my buddy took me to the range, and we were just shooting. I think, 22s. He's like, I brought this, so you can try it. And I did. It was a thing.
1: Have you ever uh, milked a cow?
2: I have never milked a cow. Uh, Never had the opportunity now that I think about it. Uh, Very slim chance on a field trip. We went somewhere where maybe we saw a cow being milked, but no. To my recollection, I've never successfully milked a cow.
1: It's not a strike against you. Uh, Do you know what a bubbler is?
2: Okay, My, uh, favorite bar Sunday night. <laughs> of That's awesome. Uh, also, it's uh, yeah, it's where you drink water from.
1: Yep. Have you ever woke up in the morning and immediately had a bloody mary? ever wore a flannel to work
2: flannel to work i'm sure i have i just can't think of when uh, i'm gonna say yes but i don't remember a specific instance
1: do you know what cream city is
2: yes cream city i'm surrounded by cream
1: city brick as we speak I'm nice gonna, some of our patio built right out of it and are still
2: downstairs actually as a cream city barrier around it because it looks cool
1: do you know what a glazer is
2: uh 99 sure that's the donuts at quick
1: trip nice nailed it yeah have you ever been have
2: have you i'll ask you have you had glazer beer
1: i have not but i was a carbon four i don't know i've never seen it but i'm curious about it i've never
3: sought it out either but i know it exists in the world and if I ever see one, I'll buy one.
1: Yeah, same here. As soon as I see that thing on the shelf, I'd buy it right away. Oh, yeah. Do you know what a cow chip is?
2: Uh, Yep, yeah, that would be, uh, well, it's cow poop. Uh, does it have to be flattened? Does it naturally flatten? I know people throw them like Frisbees and compete to see if you can throw them further. I don't know if they're naturally flat or they have to be flattened.
1: Or am I thinking of cow pies? No, you nailed it. That's exactly what it okay. is. I know they have, like, a competition up north somewhere where they toss it, yep. which is pretty gross, but to each their own, yep. you know. <laughs> uh, have you ever been on a cheese tour?
2: Yes, uh, Clock Shadow Creamery, same place we get our curds.
1: Awesome. All right, this is a really uh, Wisconsin thing. Have you ever been to a party in a cornfield?
2: Nope, I have uh, not. Uh, no. i uh, what no, I can't say that I have. We're
1: from we're, from we're from a small town. It's a regular yeah. occurrence for us. So, I've been to parties where the lot next door was a cornfield, but it wasn't. We're
3: going to a cornfield to have a party. We've ended up in the cornfield or in the <laughs> soy field, but it was never.
2: Hey, we're meeting at such and such farm, and we're gonna have a party there.
0: I hey. know there's
2: plenty of people who have
1: <laughs> that. That counts.
2: I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Alright, oh, next but, question. Have you ever been on a brewery tour? And uh, obviously you have, so which one is your favorite?
2: Uh, it's going to sound weird. I really like the Miller Brewery Tour sure. because it's a factory tour and it's not, you know, craft beer list it's not an entertaining tour guide, it's not what people think of as a brewery tour, but it's really cool to see 500 cans of beer getting filled a minute and just truckloads of beer coming and going and just the mass scale of it.
1: So, yeah, uh, we definitely don't. Won't like that. We definitely don't judge on the beer. I mean, we drink cheap yeah. beer. We drink craft beer. We're not. We are not yeah. here to like make fun of people. Obviously, we don't care what you drink. All right, next question. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever made beer brats? And what beer do you usually use?
2: Yes, I have made beer brats. It's an essential ingredient in my beer brat chili. Uh, I use garage Age Pabst Blue Ribbon. So I keep tall boys and paps in my garage for many, many years, let them go through the season, let them get real funky. And then uh, hopefully, if I can age them two years, that's the beer I use to cook my brats
1: in. That's awesome. Have you ever had a true Wisconsin old-fashioned? Obviously, it's a dumb question, but...
2: Yes, uh, I will probably have every version except for the people who, for some reason, like olives in there. Uh, I've mm. never had a Wisconsin-style old fashion with olives, but, you yeah. know, it's popular. But I've had sweet, I've had sour, I've had press, I've had brandy, I've had bourbon, blended whiskey, uh, every everything you can think of, except for
1: olives. Next question. Have you ever drank through an entire day? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, many
2: times in Vegas. but uh, Here as well, I'd say, yeah, like, uh, I can remember some time, sometimes going to, like, a Badger football game starting, you know, around 8 a.m. and going all day. And, oh, one St.
0: Patrick's Day, we came within an hour of opening and closing a bar. Oh. So we were there from 10 a.m. to 12.30.
1: So, yeah, within two hours of closing the bar. And that, I count that as all day drinking. Yeah, day. that's, that's an accomplishment.
0: Day. That's good.
1: Have you ever stood outside where there's a tornado warning going off?
2: I've done that. I'm um, a bit of a weather dirt, and my wife yelled at me. But I'm like, no, no, it, it's over by Blue Mountain. We're safe right here. You know, by half a mile, I'm just like, ah, no big deal, ignore that. So, yeah, a couple different times, um, but I pretty uh, tuned into where the bad weather would or wouldn't be. It's a lot different now. I mean, when I was younger, a whole county would be under a tornado warning. Even if there's, you know, it might not be raining in Franklin, Wisconsin, but Brown Browneers get the tornado, but they'd both be under the same warning.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Ross, do you know what a fib is? Uh,
2: yes. A friendly Illinois brother.
1: Oh, oh come nice. on.
2: <laughs> I uh, have a lot of guests who come to the distillery. A lot of friendly Illinois brothers. Yeah. Coming here, and I greet them very nicely.
1: Absolutely. We just, wink, we, wink. yeah, we just wanted to uh, see your uh, response in that one. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been to a tractor pole?
2: Yes, I've been to a tractor pole. Uh, I went to one at the
1: Bradley Center a long, long time ago. All right, I got one more question for you, and uh, then we'll let you go. Have you ever driven a snowmobile to a bar?
2: I have never driven a snowmobile to a bar. That's unfortunate. I apologize. I have not.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Ross. It was awesome. No problem. Thank you so much. Sure, sure. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to stop in there soon. We're, we're thinking about doing a live show one of these days, and uh, if you guys will have us, we'd love to come out.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, come on down. We'll talk uh, Wisconsin drinking history. We'll talk cocktail history. We'll talk about the old-fashioned. Also, I know you're talking about Rory Dan today. Just so happens tomorrow, we're bottling up some of our cast strength bourbon named after Dirty Helen, uh, Dirty Helen Cromwell, who probably lived more of a notorious life than Roaring Dan himself. Uh, she was a brothel owner, bar owner. She knew Al Capone, and she ran a bar here in Milwaukee that only served bourbon and scotch. That's it. You had two choices, one or the other. Wow. Uh, so. She's an interesting character. I would recommend looking a little bit into her for future episodes because she fits right in line with the man, the myth, the legend, Rory Dan. She is, in her own right, uh, the woman, the myth, the legend, Dirty Helen Cromwell.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. No problem at all. Enjoy your day. All right, you too. You as well.
0: Thanks again, guys. This was episode three. Honestly, I can't say enough about all of our, uh, our viewership so far and all the great feedback that we've had. I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't already, click subscribe on the YouTube, like, review, anything you guys can do to uh, further advance uh, what we do here. Um, we, we, really, we really enjoy uh, providing some sort of uh, entertainment, uh, to anybody who was willing to listen all right that concludes this episode of wisconsin drunken history
1: podcast if you enjoyed this vulgar display of wisconsin we recommend you subscribe via soundcloud apple podcast google play spotify stitcher and
0: TuneIn. in also leave us a review on any one of those above mentioned sites and we can read one at the end of every show Follow us on social media, and feel free to reach out, especially if there is a piece of history or weird news you'd love us to share or research, as well as highlight some local artists or music. Our website is projectcapestudio.com.
1: i also like to thank my friend and past co-worker, Steph Skibak for providing us with awesome podcast cover art, as well as the Dang It's for intro and outro music, and all of you for listening. As always... Watch Watch out out for deer deer on the way home.